Please be seated and keep your Bible open at Mark chapter 12. And if you open up on the middle page of your bulletin, you'll find an outline to follow the sermon. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here together uh, to praise you and to listen to your word. Pray, Father, that you will help me to preach clearly and truthfully. And pray that, Father, as we read from your word in the Bible, that we will take it as really your word to us. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen. I like to watch Kung Fu movies. Uh, you probably are like me as well. I'm sure most of you have watched martial art movie by famous stars like Bruce Lee or the latest one, Donnie Yen. And you probably have enjoyed the moment where the Kung Fu master showed his exceptional skills in, defeat, in defeat, uh, defeating his opponents. Uh, but I wonder whether you have seen those uh, funny fighting scenes uh, where obviously the opponent of the master was, was quite inferior. They were not strong at all, uh, but they were showing all their fanciful moves. So some maybe will probably do their uh, flying crane or maybe snake fist. And then as they were dancing around like a monkey in front of the master, the master just go, whoop, pop. And straight away, the opponents fall down, straight on the floor, being KO'd by the master just in one move. Uh, it was quite hilarious uh, to see uh, these opponents were, were making fanciful skills, but in fact, they were not strong at all. And the Kung Fu master just exposed their weakness uh, in just one shift, brilliant technique. And so, when we go to our Mark chapter 12 today, uh, we see that Jesus did exactly the same thing uh, with his opponents. Uh, he exposed the weaknesses of those who were against him, the religious leaders, with just one brilliant move. And so we see in the context, uh, we see that the religious leaders, namely the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they were challenging the authority of Jesus, uh, his authority as teacher of God's word. And they have been challenging Jesus with seemingly hard questions. Uh, we see that throughout Mark chapter 12 for the past few weeks. Uh, first, they asked Jesus about uh, what it means, how, how is it that they can pay taxes to Caesar as God's people? And then they asked about resurrection and marriage in heaven. And last week, we saw that a scribe asked Jesus about what is the most important commandment from God. All these questions they thought would be difficult, they make it hard for Jesus. But they could not defeat Jesus with these questions as Jesus answered them one by one brilliantly. And then now, this week, we see Jesus finally gave them a decisive blow in their head by asking them just one simple question, and they have no answer to it. And so we come to verse 35. Jesus, as he was teaching in the temple, say, he said, How can the scribe say that the Christ is a son of David? In verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Here, Jesus is using what his opponent affirmed, namely the scribes, to challenge them with a further question. Uh, the scribes affirmed that the Savior promised in the Old Testament uh, is a son of David. Uh, this we have read as being prophesied uh, in Isaiah 11 in our readings from the Old Testament earlier. We see uh, that the one who will bring a perfect righteous day for the nation of Israel is one that will come from the stump of Jesse. And we know that Jesse is the father of King David. 
So Jesus has no problem affirming what the scribes taught because it is indeed what the scriptures affirm. However, he then asked, if Christ is a son of David, then how can he also be the Lord of David at the same time? We see here Jesus in verse 36. He quotes Psalm 110, which we sang earlier. Uh, the psalm, as Jesus tells us, is written by David. As David was prophesying about the coming Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so when David prophesied about the Christ uh, in that psalm, uh, he says, the Lord said to my Lord. So the first Lord refers to God the Father, the Yahweh in the Old Testament. And the second Lord refers to the prophesied Christ, the Messiah. And so David refers to this coming Christ as his Lord. Therefore, the coming Christ is David's master or superior, as the word means. So the question that is being put forth by Jesus is this. Uh, in Isaiah 11, the Christ is a descendant of David. But in Psalm 110, Christ is a master of David. How can, these two, how can these two reconcile? That is how we are to understand verse 37. Verse 37, Jesus says, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And so after Jesus' question, uh, we hear no answer. No answer from the scribes, the Pharisees, or the elders. And so we can safely assume that they have no idea how to answer Jesus at all. And after hearing this, uh, the great crowd heard Jesus gladly. They cheered on Jesus. Uh, so they knew that Jesus had achieved a victory over his opponents. They cheered just like how we will cheer when we see in the movie the Kung Fu master defeat all his enemies and they're all lying on the floor. That's why they cheered. They, they, cheer. they knew that Jesus had won. But as we think further, uh, we may ask, why did Jesus give such a question for the crowd? Uh, Jesus did that in order to show that these religious leaders that really do not understand the Old Testament scriptures at all. Before that, they were asking a lot of seemingly hard questions that, as if they knew a lot about it. But here, Jesus shows them that they can't even answer one simple question for him, from him. Uh, in this way, Jesus once again established his authority as a teacher of God's words. He shows that he knows the Old Testament better than all of his opponents. And with this, it is sufficient to, to show that Jesus is a superior interpreter and teacher of God's word. This is what Mark's trying to emphasize. And therefore, Mark did not go on and give us an answer to that question. There's no answer to that question in this particular session. But as we continue to read the rest of Mark, as we continue to read uh, the rest of the New Testament, uh, we see how there'll be an answer to this question. This answer will be provided by Jesus. Uh, indeed, Jesus is the answer to the question because Jesus is the Christ. And then through, and through what will happen to Jesus later, he will show how as a true descendant of David, he will also become the Lord of David. How will Jesus become the Lord of David? He will become the Lord of David because he, sit, he will sit at the right hand of God. As we see here in verse 36. Uh, sitting at God's right hand means being, being, means being giving, given great power and authority by the person. Uh, it is like during an important meeting, let's say there's, a, there's an AGM of an organization. During the meeting, uh, the most important person, the president, he will sit, where will he sit? He will sit in the center of the meeting. 
and who will sit at the right-hand side of the president? Uh, it will be the deputy president or the vice president. So that's what it means for Jesus to sit at the right hand. But then we ask, how will God give great power and authority uh, to Jesus as a, Christ, as a Christ? And so as we move forward, move forward to the New Testament, uh, we see in the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 2, uh, the apostle Peter says that Jesus sat at the right hand of God. When? When he was resurrected from the dead and when he ascended to heaven to live forever with God. That is what it means for him to sit at the right hand of God. And in another book, in the, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, the author says that Jesus sitting at God's right hand means that Jesus shared the same divine power as God. The author of Hebrews said that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. This is what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Lord and Master of David. He is the Lord of David in the sense that he is the God of David. He is the one who lives forever with God, and he sits literally at God's right hand, sharing God's divine power. And as the Christ, who is a Savior in this way, this is what he means for him to be Savior, Jesus has come not to bring us political or military victory, over our, our enemies on this earth, like King David did. But Jesus came to bring eternal life to us as he has shown that he has eternal life in himself. And Jesus came to bring us victory over death, just as he has conquered death himself. Uh, these are not given in a text in Mark chapter 12 here. But this is what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Lord of David, but what is being emphasized in this text here uh, is that Jesus knew what David was prophesying back in Psalm 110. He knew that is what he was talking about because he himself is a fulfillment of the passage. And that's why he can ask that question. But the leaders, religious leaders, they have no answer at all to Jesus because they have no idea how they will be fulfilled. And so that's what we've seen from the first section from verse 35 to verse 37. And as we move on to verse 38 to verse 40, Jesus continues to attack the leaders, continue to show their failing. But this time, rather than attacking all the leaders, he specified his target, specified his target on the scribes. And earlier, we see that he showed the inferior understanding of the scribe about the scripture. Now he showed that their behavior was doubtful as well. So the previous section is about their lack of understanding, and this section is about their lack of integrity. Jesus says in verse 38, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. In verse 39, And have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. During that time, the scribes will wear long white robes, probably just like what I'm wearing now, because white linen clothes were regarded as mark of distinctions, mark of holiness. Whereas bright colors were left to the common people. They were considered not as holy. It's not just that. When a scribe passed by in the street, passed by in the marketplace, uh, people have to stop what they're doing and they have to rise up to show respect to the scribe. Furthermore, uh, when prominent people uh, during Jesus' time, like the Dato and the Datins of Jesus' time, when they hold a feast or the party, uh, they were considered a privilege 
to have a scribe there. And they will leave the most important seats for the scribes. Just like our modern day VIP or VVIP rooms. Uh, we see that the scribes are honored. Why? Because they were the preservers of God's law. Uh, the scribes were not only professional students of the Mosaic law, but they were also teachers of laws. And on top of that, they were proper lawyers, as we know now, uh, because they helped with the administration of the Jewish law among the community as they deal with legal cases on a daily basis. So that's why they were receiving honor. But what Jesus is condemning here is that these scribes only love the honor that they receive from the people. They singularly desire those honor. And Jesus says their love for their own honor is wrong because they were supposed to bring honor to God by teaching about God's law. Uh, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, those who seek the glory of, him, of themselves and those who seek the glory of other people are usually those who do not seek the glory of God. And so Jesus is condemning these, Christ, these scribes because they were just honoring themselves and not honoring God. And furthermore, the scribes are supposed to, to, be, to be right, to be a righteous lawyer. They are supposed to administer rightly the law among the people. But what we see here in verse 40, it says that they are devouring, devouring the widow's house. Well, they devour, they devour the widow's house not by actually eating the house of the widow. That's a joke, by the way, if you haven't realized. Uh, they devour the widow's house not by eating the house, but, but by financially exploiting, financially exploiting the poor widows. How do they financially exploit them? During their time for their job as a scribe, they are not paid officially for what they're doing. And so they rely on people's willing and generous donation, free will donation to survive. And so they probably have used that to abuse, uh, to get undue free givings, donations from the, from the poor widows, so much so that they have financial constraint. Or it could be that they're using their position as lawyers uh, to cheat the widows uh, of their inheritance, cheat them of their properties through illegal means. Uh, whatever the specific ways, it is clear that they are not practicing what they are supposed to be as a teacher of the law. And we see here in the final item in verse 40 that they make long prayers for a pretense. Long prayers for a pretense. They are not really sincere in their prayers. They just want to make long prayers to pretend that they are pious or to pretend that what they are doing is important. And so Jesus is talking to the crowd who gather at the temple. He said, Beware of these hypocritical scribes who only care for their own honor and care for their personal gain. Jesus is asking them not to follow these kind of scribes because they are not really serving God. If the crowd follow them, they will not be led closer to God. Instead, they will be devoured by their personal ambitions. And Jesus wants to expose uh, their, their ulterior motives of the scribes because the scribes were going against Jesus. We see that these scribes do not want to accept the authority of Jesus simply because Jesus exposed our weaknesses. And they want to defend themselves because they want to keep the honor that they've been receiving all this while. Honor that they should not receive in the first place. And so they oppose Jesus wrongly because they're opposing God. Not only that, by exposing their hypocrisy, Jesus also highlights how he himself is different from the scribes. 
And if you look at the gospel, we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus come, his mission is not really to honor himself mainly. He come to honor God. And we see that he does not devour the people, but he sincerely cares for the people. Uh, he cares for the physical needs of the people, and especially their spiritual needs, as he seeks to teach them truly about God, to lead them closer to God and how to honor God. And so, what can we apply from this passage after seeing what it is? Well, this section warns us to beware of church leaders, even within our churches in Malaysia. Beware of those leaders who are not teaching Christians to honor God, who are not doing what they should be doing. We have to be beware of those church leaders who are using God's name solely to gain their own status and fame. These people are usually those who do not really teach people, teach Christians how to humbly obey God. And probably they themselves do not seek to obey all of God's commandments. Uh, but however, uh, as we are taught to be beware of those self-seeking leaders, uh, I think this passage shouldn't be an excuse for us not to give any respect or honor to any leaders at all. This passage should not be an excuse for us not to give any honor to leaders at all. But instead, we should know that if, if there's a leader who is faithfully teaching God's word, if a church leader is honoring God and leading people and teaching people to honor God, we should rightfully give them honor. And these are what the first kind of applications that we have from this passage. Uh, and yet there's a second application for us from this section, which is that all of us must not become like the scribes, or we must not pick out the same kind of attitude as them. You see, often those kind of self-seeking leaders, they still have following, they still have people following them because usually some of the followers uh, also, have the same, also have the same kind of attitude. They also desire to be like those who are honored by others. So they look up to these leaders and give them support. So as Jesus asked us to be beware of them, Jesus asked us also warn us not to not seek the same kind of thing as them, seek their own self-honor. Of course, this passage should be a strong reminder, strong reminder for all of us, uh, especially those who are serving among the leadership team uh, in the church. Because it is very easy for us to fall into pride and to become self-centered as we serve God in that capacity. Because people indeed will give us honor and respect. And so as we serve as teacher of God's words or as leader in the church, we must always be reminded that God's honor must always come first. And if anyone who is thinking uh, in the future about leadership or teaching role in the church, you must make sure that you only consider that if you truly want to serve God and honor him in that way. Because Jesus says the leaders like the scribes, they will receive the greater condemnation if they acted hypocritically. He says here in the end of verse 40, they will receive greater condemnation because teachers and leaders are supposed to lead people to God, but yet they are deceiving others for their own personal gain. This is what we learn from the second section from verse 38 to 40. And now we move to the last section to verse 41 to 44. Uh, we see that Jesus will address a slightly different issue, but very related to what we have seen before. In the previous section, Jesus attacked how the scribes appeared to be honorable on the outside, but they were rotten in the inside. And so likewise, in this section, Jesus again attacked the superficial and outward values that was prevalent among the people. Uh, this time, he targeted the rich people 
who may appear very honorable on the outside by their generous donation. But Jesus says, Jesus says it might not really be the case. So if you go to verse 41, Jesus observed that many rich people were putting in large sums of money into the offering box in the temple. The money in the offering box was most likely used for the maintenance and running of the temple. And so these people who have given a lot of money to their work would have been shown to be very devoted and pious Jews. They probably would have received a lot of praise and honor for their large contribution. Our society even now has, has the same kind of attitude. Uh, we, we, we usually think that those who donated more money are seen to be more noble and self-sacrificial. Uh, for example, uh, I think it's always, I always think, I always find it very funny uh, when someone rich donated a lot of money to a charity organization, uh, when they were asked to present the check to the organization on the stage. Uh, they will come to bring, not the real size checks, but it is small, right? When they go to the stage, they bring a, a not a real check, but a mock check that is that big, just in case you cannot see the amount. I was thinking probably the more amount is on the check, the bigger right, is the mock check to show the relative value of, of their donation. And so it, it's the same during Jesus' time as, as we have now here in our society. There, there was this kind of attitude towards rich people who donated more money. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said in verse, he continued to observe in verse 42, verse 42. He observed that a poor widow only put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Uh, if you're wondering how little is the amount of a penny, a penny is about one out of 64th of a day's wages. Right? A penny is one out of 64th of a day's wages. So let's say in our modern day equivalent, let's say a day wages in Malaysia is about, let's say, 100 ringgit. And so a penny will worth, worth now probably about one ringgit 50 cents. So this widow only gave one ringgit 50 cents for the work of the temple. See, that amount of money can't even buy you a pack of nasi lemak nowadays. Maybe they can only, that money can only be used to buying a few pens to put in our church. Uh, that is definitely very insignificant compared to the large sum of money given by the rich people. But what is the surprising thing that Jesus says in verse 43? Verse 43, he says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. What does Jesus mean by saying this? What Jesus meant is that even though the amount is less, but in the eyes of God, the widow has given more to God than all those, all those rich people. Why? Because in verse 44 he says, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus says the giving of the rich is not significant because they are just giving their loose change. He says it is not even hard for them if let's say they are donating 10,000 10, a month, if for the fact that God has been allowing them to earn 100,000 a month. Even though 10K might sounds a lot, but in essence they are only giving away 10% of their monthly income. On the other hand, although the poor had only given one ringgit 50 cents, but the fact could be that she only earned one ringgit 50 cents on that particular day. And so she has given all 100% of her 
day earnings on the day away. You see, the starting thing is that she has two coins for herself. She could have put in one coin and left one coin for herself for the day. But yet, she put in both coins. And so she put in everything that she had. Therefore, after seeing this, what can we learn? What can we learn and apply from this passage? Uh, we see that it is not necessarily more praiseworthy. It is not necessarily more devoted if we give more money to God. Jesus says that the more important thing is, is how much of our lives we give, how much of our whole lives we give to God. The more important is how many percentage of ourselves that we give. And Jesus shows that when we give money for the work of God, it should not be for the sake of praise and honor for other men, from other humans. What Jesus says is important here is that it is pleasing to God. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not saying that the rich has done anything wrong. Uh, the money that the rich has put in, which are sincerely for God, are indeed pleasing to God. But the thing is that God is not necessarily more pleased just because more amount of money was given. Here Jesus says that Jesus is, God is more pleased if we more, only if we are more fully devoted to him. And it is not just how much percentage of money that we put into the offering box. It is how we use all of our money, all our resources for the purpose of serving other people, for the purpose of serving the kingdom of God. And it is not just limited to our money, but it also applies to how we use our time and energy to serve God. And so this passage is a reminder to all of us Christians about the wrong values you might have when it comes to giving to God. But it can also be a great comfort to us, I think. It can be a great comfort because God says, no matter how poor you are, no matter how little you have, if you fully devote it to God, it will be very pleasing indeed in God's sight. Uh, but at this point, some of you who are troubled by this passage may say, well, for the poor widow to give all away her living on a day, isn't it a bit unwise for her? Doesn't she have very bad financial planning? You might say, what is the point if, if for, for this particular month, I give all away my money to support missionary, to support pastors, and for the work of evangelism? And then I've left with no money. I have to rely on other Christians for survival. Maybe I have to come here every Wednesday morning for the Feed the Poor event that we run here for a pack of nasi lemak. You're saying, isn't that not a good financial planning as, as, as Christian? Well, I want to say that if that becomes your situation really, then it is not really that bad a thing. What I want to say is that if you, truly, if you truly and sincerely devote all of your resources for the work of the kingdom of God and actually end up in that state, it can indeed be the wise thing. Why? Because in the following chapter after this section, Jesus will talk about the judgment that is coming upon Jerusalem, the judgment that is coming upon the people because of their sins. In fact, in chapter 13, Jesus will talk about how all things of the world will be destroyed by God. All things will perish because of the sins of humanity. And in the end, only those who are saved through Jesus Christ will survive. Therefore, it is indeed a very wise thing for us to invest all our resources for the coming eternal kingdom. They will last forever and not worry about the things of this world. They will ultimately perish. 
However, I want to add that it doesn't mean that we cannot have good financial planning while we are kingdom-centered, while we are future-oriented. Uh, we can be equally God-centered, kingdom-centered, and we can plan in such a way that you know, we earn more and we, we live only for ourselves. We live for ourselves only what is needed for our basic living need. And for the rest of the money, uh, we devote that to the advancing of God's kingdom. There's nothing that stops Christians from, have, from having good financial planning while properly following Jesus' teaching here. However, I want to add that there can be a danger. There can be a danger if you are too worried about our financial planning in this world. We can be so worried about the things of this world that we neglect the future coming of God's kingdom, that we neglect the judgment that is coming. We can be so occupied with this world that we cannot understand why Jesus can say it's good for the poor widow to devote all of the things of this world now for God's kingdom. This is what we learn uh, from this last section. And as we see how this poor widow is fully devoted to God, it further exposes the wicked pretension of the scribes, how they are using their outwardly superficial religion for the gain of the things of this world and how foolish they were doing that. Uh, let me just quickly summarize what I've said, what I've seen from the passage, the three sections of our passage today. Uh, first, we see that how Jesus showed that he is a true interpreter of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Jesus alone knows how different passages, how different strengths come together because he himself is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is the Christ who is the Lord. Secondly, we see how Jesus condemned those religious leaders who are outwardly honorable, but inside they are hypocritically serving themselves. Jesus wants us not to follow them and not become like them. Instead, we should only rightfully honor those leaders who are honoring God and seeking people to do the same, seeking for, to lead people to do the same. Thirdly, we see how Jesus challenged the superficial values of the society who only honors more who have given more money. Jesus tells us that it is not the big money that counts. It is a big heart for God that counts. It is more praiseworthy only if we give more of ourselves to God, not merely more of our dollars. And finally, we see that it is a wise thing for us to invest, to give all ourselves to God, to invest all our, all our resources for the coming kingdom because judgment is coming. And because God has given us hope of salvation, an eternal kingdom that will last through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we know that it's a wise thing for us to do that. Let us, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you warn us not to seek our own honor, uh, so much so that we forget your honor uh, as we live in this world who tends to do that. Uh, we pray, thank you also, Father, for you tell us about the coming judgment. Uh, and you tell us how uh, it is wise for us uh, to invest our resources for the coming eternal kingdom. And pray that as we know more and more of our hope of salvation in Jesus, they will be joyful uh, in doing that. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen.